Welcome to r slash pro revenge, where OP manages to shut down an honest to God terrorist. Our next Reddit post is from Uncommon Optimist. I'm a 30 year old guy. I met this 22 year old girl while I was working at a national park, and she was a housekeeper on a work visa. We instantly hit it off, and within a month we were in a relationship. We even had a solid long distance arrangement where we would visit each other on recreational visas in our respective off seasons. I'd spend a few months in Romania or meet her at some vacation destination. Then, she would spend a few months in the States. This went on for about two years. And, eventually, the conversation came up with her family about possibly moving her to the States permanently. Romania never really recovered from the Ceausescu regime. And, political and economic corruption makes life pretty unpleasant for a lot of people. Her marrying and moving to the U.S. meant that her mom wouldn't have to worry about her daughter having a good life. I arranged for a sponsorship and proposed to her. It seemed like my dreams were coming true. Then, about a month after she's all settled in, I get a message from her best friend back home. She sent me a year's worth of screenshots wherein my fiancé bragged about conning me into paying for her residency. Meanwhile, she cheated on me with eight different men. In her friend's words, You're a good man and you don't deserve this. So, over the following two weeks, I reported her to ICE and Homeland Security for a conversation her brother and I had over a bottle at one point. He bragged to me about how he had done time in prison for smuggling weapons to Turkish terrorists, and how, on several occasions, she had been his lookout. As you can imagine with the whole war on terror thing, this was not taken lightly. She was immediately arrested and deported and put on a permanent no-entry terror watch list. Want to take advantage of me and cheat? Have fun never being able to come back to the States. Our next Reddit post is from Captain Bao Bao. This is the story of Mike. Mike managed the warehouse of a hospital. This hospital was built in the 50s in the center of the town. A stadium was built on one side, the Justice Hall on another, and a school on the third side. There was also a military barracks and two other medical buildings around. So the streets were always crowded with cars searching for parking. One day, when opening the gate of the landing dock, Mike noticed a little car parked in the hospital internal court, near the 2,000 liter liquid oxygen tank. Of course, this is absolutely forbidden because, one, this is private property. Two, driving around this private court is very difficult. And three, Liquid oxygen is explosive. A car or truck hitting that tank would be a major hazard. It was a small Italian car, the kind commonly used as a second car or to travel in the Dolomite Mountains where the roads are very narrow. So Mike makes some calls. The car isn't owned by someone of the warehouse or the nursing staff. No doctor would have such a small car. The receptionist made public announcements asking visitors to move the badly parked car to no avail. 18 hours later, the car is gone. Okay, problem solved. But the next day, the car was back. So Mike placed the same calls and got the same result. This time, Mike called the cops. The cops can't tow the car away because it's a private area. The hospital won't do anything without the cops getting involved. However, when it was time to close the warehouse, the car was gone again. On the third day, when Mike opened the landing dock, the car was already there. And this time, it was a real problem. A 35T truck from Germany had to come into the courtyard that day. There's no way that that truck could reach the dock without hitting the car or the liquid oxygen tank. 
This car had become a clear and present problem of security. The warehouse workers exchanged ideas of what to do, but all feasible solutions had already been tried. And just then, someone from the maintenance team passed by on a forklift with a pallet of plaster bags. The idea struck everybody at the same time. There is no way that a tiny Italian car could weigh more than one ton of plaster. So Mike went to go see the forklift driver while the team searched for a wood pallet. Slowly, and with many precautions, the forklift driver slid the pallet under the car, lifted the entire car, and then drove down the street to drop it off in a nearby street. Within 10 minutes, the cops were notified that a car was parked in the middle of the street blocking traffic. Said car was towed away in less than half an hour. Two days later, rumors ran around the hospital. It was the car of the director's wife. She worked in a medical building some streets away. When the hospital found out that Mike did this, everyone waited to see what would happen. Mike was called to the director's office. As soon as he arrived, he started to explain himself. Yes, I know that it's your wife's car, but... The director went, What? No, I called you for an entirely different matter. I warned my wife several times. She had it coming, that grunt. I think the funny thing about this story is that Mike tried to get the cops to tow the car, but they wouldn't, so he just moved the car to public property, parked it illegally, and then called the cops. So, in the end, the cops still had to tow it. Where there's a will and a forklift, there's a way. Our next Reddit post is from Onaplinth. I had a job working warehouse and delivery for a store. Their entire corporate structure was built on treating the people below you like garbage, and that passed down through entry level. Managers would just bark orders and chew you out for any reason they could think of. They paid about 25 cents over minimum wage, and the bosses drove BMWs and Mercedes. The big boss lived in an $8 million house. Our store was the freight hub for four others in the little chain. So we got to know the drivers from the other stores pretty well because they were always coming to load freight or drop stuff off. One day, we're sitting with two drivers from another store, and this one guy, Buddy, remarks that he and his partner are working over 60 hours a week. I say that he must be doing pretty well with all that overtime pay. He says that they're not getting overtime, just paid a straight time rate. I asked him if he signed an averaging agreement, and he said no. He showed me his pay stub, and there it is. His partner comes back and confirms all this. They've been doing this for months. He asked his manager about overtime, and he had been told that straight pay was just the way that it worked. I told them that's illegal, and I urged them to take it to labor relations. They're reluctant to rock the boat because they think they could be fired, so I drop it. I personally never got any overtime because our store just wasn't that busy. A couple of months later, Buddy and his partner are in my warehouse again. He tells us that he and his girlfriend are moving back east and he's giving us notice. I tell him again to file a complaint because now he has nothing to lose, so he does. A few weeks go by, and when I come in one day, there are expensive boss cars parked all over the loading dock. My workmate says something big is going down. All the managers have been summoned, and they're inside with a bunch of people in suits. So we wander upstairs to see what's going on. The company bookkeeper had an office in our store and handled all the payroll. He was a Chinese immigrant, a nice guy. The bosses were trying to pin this on him, saying that he didn't speak English very well, which was true, and he obviously screwed everything up. Turns out he was a pretty cagey guy. 
He knew that what the bosses were telling him to do was illegal, and he was able to produce all the records of him telling them that, and of them telling him to basically just shut up and do it anyway. So he handed over all the documentation and quit. I saw Buddy and his partner a few weeks later. He got a pay stub for about 15 paychecks worth of earnings. The company got caught for all the overtime pay and a pretty substantial fine on top of that. And as an added bonus, the second-in-command had driven over a nail when he parked his silver BMW on the loading dock and had a flat when he came out of the store. He opened his trunk, called me over, and said, Change that for me. I told him, Sorry, that's not my job, and if I hurt myself, my compensation claim would be denied. As he went to call a tow truck, I stood on the loading dock and gazed upon all the havoc that I'd wrought, and my heart was glad. Man, corporate theft is so hypocritical. Imagine if an employee stole 15 paychecks from a company. That's embezzlement, and they'd probably do time in jail. But when the boss steals from a coworker, uh, that's just business as usual. Our next Reddit post is from Dean of GCC. I used to live in a rental townhome. The place was great. It was run by a big company, but they paid an on-site super to run the office, coordinate repairs, etc. When I moved in, the super was this nice older retired couple. A few years later, they moved on, and the company hired these two young dudes. They were buttholes. They were recent college grads who looked down on the blue-collar tenants, held loud parties all night, generally ignored the grounds, ignored maintenance requests, etc. But that's not how I got them arrested. In addition to renting the townhouse, you could also rent a covered parking spot. If you did, they gave you a hang tag. And if you didn't have a hang tag, you'd get towed. I had the same car, same spot, and same tag the whole time that I lived there. One day I came out, and my car was gone. It was towed for not having a hang tag, but in the pictures the tow company took, it was clearly there. I paid to get it out and complained to the two idiots. They had to call to authorize a tow. The tow company couldn't just do it on their own. They gave me a half-hearted apology. About a week later, same problem. Again, towed for no tag. Again, the tag is right there. This time, I called the corporate office and complained. After that, it started happening nearly every day. When I talked to the supers about it, they just laughed. I knew they were doing it on purpose. So, I did some research. The tow company gave me the names of the people who called it in, and mostly it was one guy, but sometimes it was the other. The tow company wasn't liable because the landlords had called them out, so that wasn't an option. But I did some research, and I found out that in my state, calling for a tow when you know it's not a legal tow is grand theft auto, just like you broke into a car. I also found out that you can record conversations in my state without telling the other person. So I went in to meet with the two bros to talk about the situation. They told me on tape that the first two times were mistakes, but after that, they did it on purpose and would keep doing it so I would learn my lesson. They said they knew that I was okay to park there, but that they didn't care. I took that recording in the list of calls to a buddy who's an attorney, and he helped me take it to the local police. The police were more than happy to have a couple of felony charges dropped into their laps. So they filed the charges and went to arrest them. Corporate fired them the same day, refunded all of my fees for dealing with a tow company, and gave me a rental discount for a few months. They both ended up eating the felony and got probation. 
Last I heard, they weren't able to find decent jobs because of the felonies and also couldn't pay their student loans. Both of them ended up working construction, which they sneered at because that's all they had left. Hmm, OP, you think they learned their lesson? You'd think they would, right? Because they were so keen on making sure that you learned your lesson. Our next Reddit post is from CTAP. Back in 2008, I got a convertible PT Cruiser for my birthday. Yeah, it's a bit stupid sounding, but it was cheap, super dependable, in great condition, and it was a freaking convertible. I definitely enjoyed the heck out of that car during the summer. My family did too, which is where the start of the story comes into play. My parents love to take cruises around in the car. They'll go to all sorts of different places, take the dog, and make a nice morning or afternoon out of it. Well, one day back in 2010, they were driving on the interstate with my sister and dog in tow. They end up behind a semi-truck with a flatbed trailer and big stacks of parts strapped down on the top of it. Well, secured would not be a good term to describe this load, because those parts fell off the trailer and right into the path of my parents. They described the scene as chaos! My dad, the driver, was swerving around the road trying to avoid falling pieces potentially going through the windshield. My sister was squeezing the dog for dear life. Pretty much a whole lot of chaos. They finally managed to stop on the side of the highway. My family is terrified, the dog is freaked out, and the car is in terrible condition as a result of being hit by and driving over metal beams. And the worst part? The driver kept going. Didn't stop, didn't pull over. Basically, he just left the scene of an accident with the load still not secure. Here's where the pro-revenge comes in, and I do mean pro-revenge. You see, my mom is a buyer. A buyer is the person responsible for coordinating prices and purchases of materials for manufacturing and construction companies. And a cool fact about my mom, she is very good at this and has a lot of experience when it comes to part identification. And wouldn't you know it, there were parts all over the highway. So she, my dad, and my sister all go around collecting the metal pieces that had fallen off the trailer. We then went home, and she used her work experience to track down exactly where these parts came from. Keep in mind that the only thing she had to go off was a random string of numbers on each part that she retrieved. Not exactly easy for the average person, and it took her about a week to finally get to the end result of the research. My mom not only identified the company who produced the parts, but she could also identify where they were produced, the driver of the semi, as well as the destination of the parts. She contacted the manufacturer and threatened to press charges for what happened. My mom had all the evidence she needed. These parts were definitely for commercial use only, and they shouldn't be in the hands of some mom 150 miles away from the parts destination. When you add on top of that the vehicle damage to prove what happened, the manufacturer was forced to pay out to fully repair the car for about $5,000. Needless to say, the semi-driver was also fired for negligence. OP, your mom could unironically use the taken speech. I have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. That was our slash pro revenge. And if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.